Okay, guys, if you can kind of turn around so you're looking at me. That's right, because I'm going to talk to you first. Now, <clears throat> the adults can kind of finish up their donuts and coffee, and, and uh, they can listen in if they want to, uh, but I want to talk to you first, okay? Um, do you guys know who I am? Do any of you know who I am, what my name is? Yeah. I'm Pastor Joel. Okay, I'm a good friend of Dave Bechtold's. You know Dave Bechtold, right? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I've got a question for you guys. There is a special holiday coming up in about three weeks. Does anybody know what it is? What is it? Christmas. Christmas is coming. That's true. We know what's on these kids' minds. Okay, but there's one holiday that comes just before Christmas. What is that? We're zeroing in on it. <laughs> very good. Very good. Halloween comes first. Then there's something that comes in between. And then Christmas. What is Thanksgiving. It? Thanksgiving. That's right. Thanksgiving. All right. Now, kids, listen to this. Did you guys know that the first Thanksgiving was 400 years ago? Were you guys alive back then? No, no, neither was I. You were? Okay. Oh, your, oh, his dad was. That's good, okay? Do you, guys know, do you guys know how the first Thanksgiving began? Does anybody know how the first Thanksgiving began? Yes. With the pilgrims? With the pilgrims. Very good. All right, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the first Thanksgiving, okay? Listen to this. First of all, can you tell me what year it is right now? What year is it right now? 2016. 2016. Now, if you take those numbers and you reverse them, it would be 1620. And that's the year that the pilgrims came to America. Isn't that interesting? The pilgrims were people who wanted to worship God freely, without any restriction. And so they came on a sailboat to what we call America. They went all the way across the Atlantic Ocean, and it took three months to get here. Now, when they arrived, it was the beginning of winter, and they faced many hardships. What's a hardship? Does anybody know what a hardship is? Yes. Hard times? Hard times, that's right. They faced many hardships. In fact, it was so hard for them at the beginning of winter that almost half of the people who came over died. That's very sad. But the pilgrims were so grateful to the Indians because the Indians who were here in America at that time helped them to stay alive. They gave them food and showed them how to survive. And so the pilgrims were so grateful to God for allowing them to survive that first winter. And they were so grateful to the Indians that they decided... They would have a celebration. And so the governor of that community made a proclamation that there would be a celebration of Thanksgiving. What's a proclamation? Anybody know? Yes. A declaration? 
Yeah, a declaration. It's an announcement, right? That there was going to be a celebration of Thanksgiving. And so they had a huge Thanksgiving meal. In fact, their first Thanksgiving lasted for about three days. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't it be great if our Thanksgiving lasted three days? Hey, listen to this, you guys. Three days off of school, right? And three days of your favorite Thanksgiving food. Wouldn't that be great? Now, you know why that proclamation to celebrate that first Thanksgiving was pretty special to me? It was made by Governor William Bradford. And you know what? Governor William Bradford is actually a relative of mine on my mom's side. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's true. Now, Thanksgiving was celebrated kind of on and off during those 400 years. But in 1863, President Abraham Lincoln made Thanksgiving a national holiday. And since then, we've been celebrating it every year. Now, I've got some questions for you guys. We know why the pilgrims celebrated Thanksgiving, right? Because they were very grateful to God for getting them through that first winter and to the Indians. But why do we celebrate Thanksgiving? Does anybody know? Why do we celebrate Thanksgiving? Anyone know? Yes. So we can have special meals and, like, have people come over. Yeah, so we can have special meals and have people come over. That's a great answer. Anybody else? Yes. Celebrate God's word. To celebrate God's word. Yes. Very good. Wow. And let me ask you this question. Who do we give thanks to at Thanksgiving? God. Yes, God. Yeah. Is that what you were going to say, too? Yeah, we give thanks to God. In fact, listen to this. This verse of Scripture is our theme verse today, and it says this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Okay, I'm going to have you guys say that after me, okay? Do you think you can do that? Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. His love endures forever. Very good. Now, yeah, that is really good. Now, these next two questions I have for you are going to be very tough. And this is what I'm going to be talking to the adults about this morning. So let's see if you can get this. Should we only be thankful when things are going well and we have everything we want? Yes. No. No. Why not? Anybody know? Yes. It's, because, it's kind of like you're forgetting about the Lord. Yeah, we don't want to forget about the Lord at all. That's right. So we shouldn't be thankful only when things are going good and we have everything we need. Let me ask you a, another question that's very much like that one. Why is it good to have a thankful heart no matter what we're going through? Yes. So that you can always be happy? So you can always be happy. Very good. Anybody else? That's a very good answer. You know what? You guys know a lot about Thanksgiving and being grateful. I'm so grateful for you guys. Tell you what, I'm going to have you go back and sit with your mom and dad. But before you leave, I want to let you know that as I'm talking to the adults, you guys can listen in if you want to know a little bit more about being thankful. Okay? Thanks for coming up. Really appreciate it, guys. Aren't our kids great?
Okay, am I in? Okay, very good. The title of my message this morning, obviously, is The Blessings of Thankfulness, Cultivating an Attitude of Gratitude. And I'm going to start out this morning by reading several passages on giving thanks from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so I would appreciate it in honor of God's Word if we could all stand. The first one comes from Psalm 100, verse 4. It's probably one of the most familiar ones that's read around the Thanksgiving meal. It says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Then Psalm 95, verse 2. It says, Let us come before him with thanksgiving, for the Lord is the great God, the King above all gods. Psalm 92, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. And then our theme verse for today, Psalm 107, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And then one more from the Psalm, Psalm 30, O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And then from the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is God's will for you? To give thanks in all circumstances. You want to know what God's will is at any given moment? Give thanks in all circumstances. And then Ephesians 5, verse 20, Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You guys may be seated. Heavenly Father, we just dedicate this time to you. We thank you for what your word says about giving thanks. Help us, Lord, to understand this in a way that really helps us to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. Let it be a distinguishing characteristic of our life in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. There are literally hundreds of verses of Scripture that talk about the importance of giving thanks to God. In the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, one of the free will offerings was the thank offering. And in the New Testament, it's hard to read a paragraph in the New Testament, in the New Testament without seeing some admonition to give thanks to God. It's very clear that God wants his people to be a grateful and thankful people. Now, no one will argue that giving thanks is a good thing. In fact, it's so self-evident, we rarely talk about it. I mean, when's the last time you've heard a message uh, or someone teach about the importance of thanksgiving? When, when most of us think of giving thanks, we th- think in terms of thanking God for our blessings, which is obvious, you know, for our food, for our clothing, for our home, for our car, for our jobs, for the things that benefit our lives, and that makes sense. I mean, isn't that what we do at Thanksgiving? We'll go around the table and everybody will uh, tell us what they're most grateful for. Or someone may pray a quick prayer before the food gets cold. So we all know that it's good to give thanks and we sheepishly admit that we should probably give thanks more often than we do. But I would like to submit to you this morning that the biblical understanding of giving thanks is far greater and far more comprehensive than just simply giving thanks once in a while for good days and for good times. 
And so the first point this morning has to do with the biblical understanding of thankfulness. If you did a careful study of Scripture and you observed the circumstances in which God's people gave thanks, you would come to understand that it had little to do with their circumstances. Isn't that interesting? David was called a man after God's own heart. What was it about David that earned him that title? Well, he obviously loved God, he loved God's ways, and he loved God's presence. But one of the characteristics of David's life was the way he continually gave thanks to God, even in the worst of circumstances. Many of the Psalms where David gives thanks and proclaims the goodness of God were written during the worst years of his life. His friends were a bunch of social misfits, and David was hiding in cold, dark caves from a king he was faithfully trying to serve. David did nothing wrong. He was unjustly accused, and he was hunted as a criminal. And you think David would be angry and bitter, but his psalms are filled with expressions of gratitude, as you all know. How is that possible? What did David know that we don't know? Paul, who told us to give thanks in all circumstances, did so while writing from prison. Isn't that interesting? Paul and Silas were stripped, beaten, severely flogged, the Scripture says, thrown into prison and had their feet locked in stocks. And yet the Scripture says that they were praying and giving praise to God. My point is, is that Thanksgiving has less to do with our circumstances than we think. It has more to do with what's going on in our hearts than it does what's happening around us. The type of thankfulness we see in Scripture is not an event or something happens once in a while when things are going well, but rather it's an expression of something that has become a part of one's life. It's a posture of heart that recognizes God's goodness and His faithfulness regardless of what we're going through. Biblical thankfulness is an attitude of heart that's based on God's character and His sovereignty rather than our circumstances. I think Romans 8.28 captures this very well. This is a, a, a passage of Scripture that's very familiar to all of you. It says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. God works for the good in all things of those who love Him. Now, is that true or not? If that's true, then we can trust that God in his sovereignty is working out the things in our lives towards his will and purpose. No matter what it looks like to us in the moment, we can trust that God is working for our good. And if God is working for our good, then we can thank him in all circumstances. When the revelation of that truth dawns upon our hearts, then thanksgiving becomes a natural part of who we are. It becomes a part of the fabric of our being, and it finds expression in everything we do. This is when Thanksgiving becomes a lifestyle, not just an event or something we do once in a while, because we should. So our gratitude then is not based on how well things are going in our lives, but rather based on the character of God. Colossians 2, 7 says this, So then, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, Strengthen in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. If we are deeply rooted in Christ, our lives can overflow with thankfulness. 
Do you know of anyone in your life who you would consider a godly person? Have you ever noticed how little that person complains and how often they seem to be grateful to God in others? They express gratitude even when things aren't going well for God's goodness. I am blessed to have many people like that in my life, including the staff of this church. If we are rooted in Christ, our lives can overflow with gratitude. It's all about the roots. The roots determine the health of a tree. If we want a good harvest of fruit, we have to make sure that the roots of that tree are healthy. And the same thing is true about the roots of our heart. If our hearts are rooted in Christ, then we can produce good fruit. On the other hand, grumbling, whining, and complaining are evidence of sick and decayed roots in our hearts. And that evidence of that decay comes out in the words that we speak. Matthew 12, 24 says that the mouth speaks out of the abundance of what's in the heart. So thankfulness doesn't depend on our circumstances as much as it does the condition of our hearts. Being rooted in Christ means that we have an understanding that God is in control and his will is being worked out in my life. Life is not random. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. We not only have the benefit of getting God's perspective from his ways in the past, but God has graciously revealed to us a pretty detailed picture of how this is all going to play out in the end. In Christ, we know that our sins are forgiven and that we've been reconciled to God the Father. We know that death and the enemy has been defeated and our victory in Christ is sure. We know that we will rise from the dead and receive our glorious bodies. We know that we will spend eternity in heaven and will be partnering with Christ as his glorious bride to do exploits in the universe. Amen. Our hope is real. This isn't wishful thinking. We have the full assurance that God will do all of these things and even more than that. And I say all this to say that as God's people, we have more to be thankful for than anyone. The quality of thankfulness, regardless of what's going on in our lives, should be one of the things that distinguishes us as God's people. That's what it means to be rooted in Christ. And if we're rooted in Christ, then our hearts can overflow with thankfulness. Okay, point two, the benefits of thankfulness. And I'm going to point out seven benefits of thankfulness. I'm sure there's many, many more, but I'm just going to point out seven. It's a nice scriptural number. Okay, number one, gratitude prepares the way for God to do his work in us. Psalm 50, verse 23 says this, He who sacrifices thank offerings honors me and prepares the way so that I may show him the salvation of God. Giving thanks to God prepares the way for God to do his work in our lives. In Philippians 2, Paul tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And the same passage says that God is the one who wills and works according to his good purposes. So God is the author and perfecter of our faith, but God doesn't do his work in a vacuum. He does it with our cooperation. That's why Paul tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The way that we cooperate with God is by trusting him and not giving in to fear and discouragement. And the way we show our trust in him is by giving thanks in all circumstances. It's an act of faith. 
Giving thanks literally releases God to do his miraculous work in our lives. Thankfulness, especially when there's nothing obvious to be thankful for, is an act of faith that causes us to go deeper and focus on what God is doing inside of us. Farmers will tell you that when it rains, if the ground is hard, the rain just comes down and runs off the land into the ditches and rivers. But if the ground is soft, the rain can soak into the soil and make it fertile and fruitful. Well, the same is true with the work of God in our lives. If we allow our hearts to become hardened by the pain and the wounds of life, the rain of God's work comes down, but it doesn't touch us. It runs right off. When Paul was describing hard-hearted people, he said this in Ephesians 4, 18. He said, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from what? From the life of God due to the hardening of their hearts. But if our hearts are tender, the rain of God's work can soak into our lives and make good soil to produce good fruit. That's why Proverbs 4, 23 says, above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. We need to keep our hearts tender before God so we can be receptive to his work. And one of the ways that we keep our hearts tender is by practicing thanksgiving. Learning to give thanks and cultivating a heart of gratitude literally has the power to soften and tenderize our hearts so that we can be spiritually sensitive and teachable. Gratitude opens our spiritual eyes and allows us to go deeper and farther. When Jesus came upon Lazarus' tomb, what did he do? He gave thanks publicly to the Father. And his heart of gratitude allowed him to see God's glory long before Lazarus came out of that tomb. Gratitude is like a magnet. It comes from a heart of humility that actually attracts the presence of God. So when we give thanks... It opens our hearts to his beautiful work in our lives. Number two, second benefit or blessing from being thankful is that gratitude gives us a valuable sense of perspective. Sometime, someone said that faith is visualizing what God wants to do and then acting in accordance with it. To be grateful is the process of, of discovering what God is doing. Whining and grumbling and complaining and engaging in self-pity, it blocks faith because it blinds us to the work of God in our lives. Gratitude takes off the blinders and it opens our eyes to see what God is doing and it allows us to act in faith. Have you ever been around truly a grateful person? Isn't it refreshing and uplifting in this cynical world of negativity? Don't you just want to be around those kind of people? Have you ever been around someone who is whining and grumbling and complaining about everything? They never seem to be satisfied, and even if something good happens, they find a reason somehow to be negative. We've all been around both kinds of people, haven't we? Are you a glass-half-full person, or are you a glass-half-empty person? Both are true, right? If a glass is half full, it's also half empty. But I believe that the scripture teaches us to be a glass half full people. Thankfulness gives us the ability to see the good in what God is doing. That's why Paul, again, writing from prison, said this in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, 
whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You guys, this is not positive thinking for positive thinking's sake. This is us acting in accordance with who we are. It's part of our identity. We are favored sons and daughters of God. We are joint heirs with Christ. We've been adopted into the family of God. Our citizenship is in heaven. We've been saved. We've been healed, delivered, redeemed, sanctified, and soon to be glorified. This is good news, you guys. (laughs) And because God is positive, because God is optimistic, we should be as well. We, above all people in this world, should be hopeful, positive, optimistic, and full of faith. Amen or oh me? Amen. Question for you. Joshua and Caleb, glass half full people or glass half empty people? Half full. And as a result, they got to go into the promised land, didn't they? Besides Moses, they were the only two of thousands and thousands and even millions. They were the only two. Why? Because they had grateful hearts. They saw the bounty of the Lord in the land, and they were very grateful for it. They saw the obstacles, but they saw it from God's perspective, so those obstacles weren't an obstacle. And as a result, they got to go into the promised land. They were half glass, half full people. The other ten spies that went with them, were they glass half full or glass half empty? Half empty. That's right. They didn't have God's perspective. And instead of being thankful, they grumbled and complained. They gave into fear. And eventually, they perished in the wilderness with everybody else. Gratitude opens our eyes and allows us to see what God is doing so we can act in faith. Gratitude helps us to see things from God's perspective. And when we see things from his perspective, we can give thanks in all things because from his perspective, all things in my life are working together for good. Amen? Amen. Number three, gratitude gives us the strength to endure suffering well. Gratitude gives us the strength to endure suffering well. Suffering is a reality of this life in this fallen world. It's a part of the groaning, actually, that Paul talks about in Romans when he says, we groan, but we eagerly wait for the final redemption. We eagerly eagerly wait for the restoration of all things. No one enjoys suffering. However, when we embrace the suffering that we can't avoid with thanksgiving, it can become a blessing in disguise. I love how nature teaches us about life. An oyster is a good example. When a foreign object enters an oyster, like a grain of sand, for instance, it's an unwelcome intruder. The oyster doesn't like it. So what it does to kind of protect itself is it starts to exude this strong, resilient substance. Layer by layer, layer by layer, it covers that grain of sand until that grain of sand becomes a beautiful pearl. So you've got this unwelcome intruder. That grain of sand is abrasive. It's unwelcome. But the oyster embraces it, and it produces something beautiful. Gratitude can transform suffering into a blessing. 
Instead of battling against the suffering as an enemy, we need to learn how to embrace it as an opportunity to trust God and grow in our faith. I love the fact that we are a church that believes in healing and deliverance. We should claim what is ours in Christ and we should stand against the enemy. But so many times in charismatic circles, we are so focused on getting rid of the pain and getting rid of the discomfort in suffering that I think we miss opportunities to learn valuable lessons that we can only learn through suffering. Paul said, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. Giving thanks to God in the midst of our suffering is an exercise of our faith and trust in God. Giving thanks in the midst of suffering actually takes part of the sting of suffering away and it allows us to come to a place of acceptance where we can surrender our lives to God and live in greater dependence upon His grace. I so admire my dear wife for this very reason. Even though the physical issues that she deals with daily have dramatically changed how she lives her life. She rarely complains, and she continues to love God and thank Him for His goodness. I'm so grateful for her example. Another example of this is Pastor Angie. Angie has been courageously battling cancer for the last couple of years. And even though she's experiencing real suffering, she has maintained her heart of thankfulness. She gives us updates every once in a while and lets us know how we can pray for her. And her words are continually filled with gratitude about who God is and about what he's doing. Without exception, all the famous people of Scripture and the saints down through the ages have learned to embrace suffering when it can't be avoided. And they have found God in the midst of their suffering. As a result, God was able to use them in mighty ways doesn't matter who it was, Moses, Joseph, David, Jeremiah, and the list could go on and on. They all experienced suffering of some kind, loneliness, isolation, imprisonment, and yet through their suffering, they learned invaluable lessons that allowed God to use them for his purposes. And the same is true for men and women down through the ages. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress while in prison. Did you know that? Nelson Mandela did his greatest work of unifying a nation while in a terrible prison for 27 years. Hudson Taylor became sick and he lived in isolation for five years when he started one of the greatest missionary works in China. If you find yourself weary of suffering and under the power of its crushing weight, start cultivating a heart of thankfulness. You'll be surprised how it'll open your heart to God and give you the grace and the strength to endure suffering well. Number four, gratitude helps us face our problems with creativity and faith. Problems are opportunities, really, to grow in our faith. When we give thanks in the midst of our problems, those problems lose their power to hurt us and they become opportunities for us to learn and go deeper in God. When David, or excuse me, when Daniel was in Babylon, Tom's preaching about Daniel right now. When da uh, Daniel was in Babylon, King Darius's advisors hated Daniel and they wanted to kill him. And so they devised a plan. They urged the king to enact a decree to throw into the lion's den anyone who is caught praying 
to anyone other than Darius himself. Well, the king agreed. And how many of you know that this was a real problem for Daniel, who was a man of prayer? So what did Daniel do? Did he whine? Did he complain? Did he fuss? Did he say life is not fair? No. This is what Daniel did in Daniel 6.10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Giving thanks to God? You've got to be kidding me. He was about to be eaten alive by lions. Giving thanks for what? Well, Daniel knew the secret of trusting God in the hard place. Giving thanks was the way that Daniel expressed his trust in God. And because of that trust, faith was released to shut the lion's mouths and preserve Daniel's life. We always hear about the importance uh, of attitude, what, what, how important it is to have a good attitude. We can't control in this life what happens to us, can we? But we can control how we respond to what happens. You've all heard the phrase, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how we respond to it. Our attitude is always more important than the actual facts about what is happening. Expressing thanks, especially in the midst of difficulties, is critical for having the right heart's attitude. Gratitude comes from learning how to be content even in the midst of our problems and our struggles. Again, while Paul was in prison, keep emphasizing this, he said this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. This is Philippians 3. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. When Connie and I were a young couple <clears throat> with a young family, the girls were little. We have three girls. Things were pretty meager. I wouldn't say we were poor, but things were pretty meager. I remember we had this old 1950s cold spot refrigerator with rounded edges. It was dirty, scratched, and dented. Do you remember those old refrigerators? Honestly, it looked like something that we pulled out of the landfill. The tile in our bathroom was literally falling off the wall, cracking and falling off the wall. When the kids would take a bath in the bathtub, the, the, the tile would fall off the wall into the tub with the kids. We had an old car that was rusted out from the bottom, and it got so bad that in the stairwell where you pitch, put your feet, it rusted through. You could actually see the road passing underneath you as you drove down the road. We had to put a plywood board in the bottom of the stairwell or the uh, footwell to keep our kids from falling through the car. There were so many things that we needed back then. And right in the middle of that, God was trying to teach us to be content. And so Connie and my motto was this, practice being content and make progress a little at a time. That was our motto for years. Practice being content and make progress a little at a time. And because we were practicing being content, we were actually able to look to God with thankfulness in the midst of our need. Now, we didn't always do it well, I have to be honest with you, but we were very aware during that time that that was what God was teaching us. 
The author Philip Yancey records a dialogue between a monk and a spiritual seeker in a monastery. And as the monk shows the spiritual seeker his room, the monk says this, I hope your stay is a blessed one here. If you need anything, just let us know and we'll teach you how to live without it. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> C.S. Lewis sums it up like this. He says, He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. Isn't that interesting? He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. Is God enough? Yes. Is God enough? Yes. We search far and wide for happiness when contentment is all around. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, His divine power has given us everything we need right now for life and godliness. If we focus on our lack, if we focus on the things that we don't have, we'll never be content and grateful. But if we focus on what we have, the good things that God is doing and His many blessings, we can give thanks in all circumstances. Gratitude can keep us from getting discouraged and overwhelmed by our problems. Philippians 4 says this, and again, Paul wrote this from prison, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, thanksgiving present your requests to God. Isn't that interesting? So many times we pray these faceless faithless prayers that hit the ceiling and drop right back down to the floor. But when we pray with thanksgiving, that means our hearts are laced with faith, right? Thanksgiving is an act of faith. And when our prayers are laced with thanksgiving and faith, it moves the hand of God, doesn't it? The last time I spoke with you guys, the last time I gave a message here, I spoke about the big butt principle. Do you guys remember that? The big butt principle was modeled so well by David, and it can best be described this way. Bad things may be happening in my life, but I choose to trust in God's goodness and God's faithfulness, right? So what comes after the but is more important than what came before the but, and it negates what came before the but, right? Okay, well, there's a cousin to the big butt principle, And that is the divine pause principle. If you're taking notes, put divine pause down. The divine pause principle goes something like this. Something bad happens, okay? The natural response for us is to react in fear, anger, worry, blame, frustration. You get the, you get the picture. But instead, we pause, and we take some time to look at this from God's perspective. God, what is it you want me to see? How can I look at this with your eyes? Give me your interpretation of this situation so I can respond in faith rather than in fear. The divine pause principle gives us some time to kind of look around that problem and look at it from every angle until we can see something redemptive. Maybe this is your way, Lord, of getting my attention. Maybe this is your way of pointing an out an insecurity where I'm not trusting in you. Maybe you've allowed this so I can grow in learning how to depend upon you and see you as my provider. Maybe you want to teach me how to lay down my agenda 
and surrender to you. Because God has given us all a free will, we all have the ability to pause, get God's perspective, and then make a healthy choice. When we pause, take responsibility for our thoughts and feelings, and get God's perspective, our spiritual eyes can be opened, and we can respond with thanksgiving because God is good, He's in control of my life and everything that happens to me. This divine pause allows us to see hidden blessings in our problems, and it helps me to respond creatively with faith and the right attitude of heart. Number five, gratitude helps to guard against self-pity. Self-pity is one of the most disabling and destructive emotions we can entertain. What I've found is that most people who feel sorry for themselves don't know that they are feeling sorry for themselves. They are often blind to their own self-pity. Here's a good test. You are feeling sorry for yourself when your primary focus in your life is your own problems. Life is unfair. Nobody understands. Nobody cares. My life sucks. And I'm going to make sure everyone else around me knows how miserable I am. That's a good definition of self-pity. Someone has said, self-pity is the worst kind of emotion because it eats up everything around you except itself. Isn't that interesting? Now, all of us feel sorry for ourselves from time to time. Elijah was a good example from the Bible. He was a great man of God, but he wasn't beyond the reaches of self-pity. He had this mountaintop experience of gloriously humiliating and defeating the prophets of Baal. Remember that? One of the most exciting scripture stories I've ever read, besides David and Goliath. And he had this mountaintop experience, but in the next moment, after defeating the prophets of Baal, we find him running from his life in fear from Queen Jezebel. He's afraid, he's frustrated, he's angry, he's tired, and he just wants his life to end. The scripture actually says that. He just wanted his life to end. God, take me. How many of us have said that before? But God, in his mercy, rescues Elijah by encouraging and strengthening him. And you can just see the transformation in Elijah's life. If Elijah were speaking, he would say something like this. Thank you, God, for sending an angel to give me food, to give me drink, and to give me much-needed rest. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to me in a still, quiet voice. Thank you, Lord, for showing me that I'm not the only one who has not bowed the knee to Baal. Thank you, Lord, for renewing my vision and giving me a new mission. And so Elijah shakes off the self-pity, and he goes to impart a double portion to someone by the name of Elisha. In the middle of preparing this message, I'm not kidding you, you can ask my wife about this, I slipped into a time of self-pity. Everything was bad, everything, and I was in a funk. And I, as I was wallowing in my self-pity, going wah, 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 <laughs> call the ambulance, I heard the Lord say to me, Joel, it's time to start practicing what you're going to be preaching in three weeks. <laughs> and so it didn't feel good. I didn't want to do it, but I began thanking God for who he was and for the many blessings in my life. And by God's grace, I was able to shake off self-pity. Gratitude is always the perfect antidote for self-pity. 
It's impossible to be truly thankful and feel sorry for yourself at the same time. Now, it takes some effort, as I mentioned before, but when you start giving thanks and you press through in giving thanks, self-pity will begin to melt away, as it did for Elijah and it did for me just a few weeks ago. How am I doing for time? Good. All right, number six, point number six. Gratitude enhances and deepens relationships. Tom talks about the importance of having a culture of honor here at City Church. And I think all of us should seek to establish a culture of honor in our marriages, a culture of honor in our families, and a culture of honor in our workplaces. It's impossible to have a culture of honor without gratitude. Gratitude is an attractive and winsome quality that is continually expressing how God and others have benefited my life. We all love being around people who are grateful. A grateful person has a generous spirit. I think that's the best way I can describe it. When I run into a grateful person, I say, there's a person with a generous spirit. It's easy for a grateful person to give the benefit of the doubt. If you have a hard time giving the benefit of the doubt, Check and see if you're a grateful person. It's easy for a grateful person to overlook the faults and shortcomings of others, to extend grace and mercy. When we have thankful hearts, it's easy to see the good in others. Our hearts and our eyes are open to their value and their potential. We are able to see people as God sees people. I had an experience in a restaurant recently that really highlighted the importance of gratitude in relationships. We had this inexperienced waitress who was really struggling. You've all seen this before. You could tell that she was frazzled and she was overwhelmed and overworked. And one person in our party was really put off by the bad service. He was upset by how long it took for her to finally wait on us. He was annoyed that she didn't get our order right. He complained about the food, and he was thinking about her letting her manager know what a poor job she did and not leaving her a tip. Okay? Another person in our party was just grateful to be with friends and enjoying a meal together. He recognized that the waitress might be new and that she was trying as hard as she could. He knew what a tough job this was, and he assumed that she was probably making less than minimum wage. He could only imagine what this person felt like. Maybe she was a single mom who was trying to make ends meet. He decided that he wanted to encourage her by giving her a gracious compliment, and a huge tip. The first person was operating out of a spirit of entitlement, right? Entitlement is viewing life from the perspective of what I have a right to, what I feel entitled to, what I expect, what I deserve, the way life should be, by golly. Entitlement is the enemy of gratefulness. The other person had a generous spirit and a heart of gratitude, love, and mercy. Which of these two people are you? Gratitude is an expression of appreciation. It's like a receipt. When you get a receipt, it's evidence of a financial transaction, right? Well, gratitude is a receipt of a transaction of the grace of God. Luke 17 recalls the story of 10 lepers who were healed by Jesus, but only one came back to express thanks. Jesus said, where are the others? 
And then he received this, lep- this former leper's thanks, and he said, your faith has made you well. Gratitude only has power when it's expressed. Early in our marriage, Connie and I got into a real rut of negativism. And even though there were many positive things that were going on in our relationship, all we could see was the negative. And one of the things that God led us to do was compose a list of things that we loved and appreciated and valued about each other. And expressing gratitude for each other in the ways each of us benefited each other's life was a powerful exercise that actually helped us to change the focus of our marriage. Gratitude has the power to connect us to God, and it has the power to connect us to each other. It can repair broken relationships, and it can enhance and, inst- and strengthen even good relationships. And then finally, number seven, gratitude allows us to recognize and enjoy the gifts of God. <clears throat> Those who give thanks experience life as a gift. Everything we have is a gift from God. Not just the obvious things that we would normally thank God for, but even the little insignificant and ordinary things that we normally take for granted. The air we breathe, a cloudless blue sky, an acorn that has the potential to produce a thousand oak trees, the sound of a child's laughter, the smell of a flower, the morning dew on an intricate spider web, a beautiful sunset, and the list could go on and on. G.K. Chesterton said this, We are perishing for lack of wonder, not for lack of wonders. A grateful heart recognizes and enjoys these little gifts from God. People of gratitude see the miraculous in small things. The disciples saw these children as an annoyance. Jesus saw the kingdom of God in them, didn't he? Jesus gave thanks for five simple loaves and two fish, and it fed 5,000 people. The mouth of a simple fish produced money for taxes. Amazing. A simple thing produced something so profound. A small mustard seed was used as a measure of faith that could move mountains. A few buckets of plain water became vintage wine at a wedding. The little things in life, seen through the eyes of heaven with gratefulness, can be big things in God's economy. That's why the Bible tells us not to despise the day of small beginnings. A little, with faith and thanksgiving, can produce much. Gratefulness helps us to slow down and enjoy the simple things of life. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm a fast eater. And my wife is a very slow eater. How many of you know this presents problems? I usually finish way before she does. And when we go to a restaurant for, to enjoy a nice meal and some conversation, one of the first things she says to me is, Joel, slow down. She, put, she actually puts her hand on my arm. And she says, do you even taste your food? I mean, do you, do you, do you taste it before you swallow it or do you just swallow it whole? Sometimes we move so fast, even when we eat, and we are so busy that we don't take time to slow down and really chew and taste the good things that God has given to us as blessings. A hurried life 
is another enemy of gratitude and the wonder of God. A grateful person views life from the perspective that all of life is a gift. It's nothing I deserve. It's nothing I've earned. It's nothing I'm entitled to, but it's a blessing. It's a gift to be grateful for and to enjoy. Okay, let's close with a brief review here. First thing I want to review is this. Biblical thankfulness is a posture of heart that recognizes God's goodness and faithfulness regardless of what we're going through. It's an attitude of heart that is based on God's character and sovereignty rather than our circumstances. Second, these are some of the blessings of thankfulness. Number one, gratitude prepares the way for God to do his work in our lives. Gratitude gives us a valuable sense of perspective. Gratitude gives us the strength to endure suffering well. Gratitude helps us to face our problems with creativity and faith. Gratitude helps to guard against self-pity. It enhances and deepens relationships. And gratitude allows us to recognize and enjoy the gifts of God. I'm going to close with our theme scripture today, which is Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2. David says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And then it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say this. So, we are the redeemed. So let's say this together. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let's say it again. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Amen. 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 Let me close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for what you have spoken to us in your word about being thankful. It is evident, Lord, from what you said to us in so many ways that you want your people to be a grateful people. You want your people to be a thankful people. It has to be one of the distinguishing characteristics of your people. So, Lord, first of all, we ask for your forgiveness for the times when we haven't been grateful. We ask for your forgiveness when we have whined and complained and grumbled about all kinds of things. Lord, help us to take the blinders off and see what we are truly thankful for. Lord, thank you for teaching us this morning that thankfulness is much more than about being thankful for good times and for good things. But down deep... It's rooted in our relationship with you. It's rooted in who you are and in your sovereignty, in your character. It's rooted in the fact that you have promised us that all things in our lives are working together for good. And if that's really true, then no matter what it looks like to us, we can give thanks in all things. So, Father, thank you for this reminder, especially in these few weeks before Thanksgiving. And help this Thanksgiving and this next coming year to be marked by a spirit, a generous spirit of thankfulness in our hearts. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Thank you.